guy that this stuff just comes on me. But I have to just tell you, as we were worshiping, uh, God just told me very clearly, I don't know who this is for, but I just want you to hear it because I know it's for somebody here. And he just said this, you never come talk to me anymore. And you think I'm really mad. You never come and talk to me. And I knew I didn't have to say that. And just tell you, I worship God's spirit just came on me. Said, some of you, this is somebody. Some of you, you, you just don't come to him anymore. And he just came on me. So if that's not for you, you're good to roll. But if that is for you, uh, I, I don't know what that is. So, hey, it's, it's a thrill for me to be back here this morning. I haven't been here at Chapel for almost 30 years almost 30 years since I've been in my last chapel, and uh, this is a place that had a profound impact on me and on my spiritual formation and, and my spiritual development, honors, and so uh, I always feel really cool when I come back to campus. Uh, I love what's going on here. I love what this university stands for. Uh, I, I love where this university is headed. I love that they've stuck to a biblical standard, and I was thinking about all the crazy changes that have taken place since I went to school here, and there are a lot of things that are really cool, like uh, like, for instance, the name change, right? So when I went to school here, it's still Northwestern College, now your university. That's, that's kind of cool. That's, that's a cool thing, right? Uh, the cafeteria is very different. So 30, uh, you guys you guys walk into the Billy Graham Center, and it's very cool because you have, like, your salad bar. You got some of that over here. You got choices of entrees. You got a little, like, cool coffee shop. We had, for a cafeteria, we had, uh, you could walk down this side, and it's kind of like a U, and, you know, you get, like, meatloaf, and then you check out. And if you went to the other side, you could kind of walk around in a U and you could get some, yeah, meatloaf and you walked out. And you guys have all kinds of cool choices, so that's cool. Uh, your athletic facilities are very cool. Like I saw that, like you guys have like, you have an actual weight room, which is very cool. Uh, when I was here, we had, it was down in the basement of Nazareth, and uh, it was like an old bench and three rusty dumbbells. That was our weight room. And your gym is very cool now because when, when we had it, we played... Uh, so I played basketball. We played in, in Riley. That's where the gym was. And we affectionately called it Cracker Box Palace. And the, the bleachers were right on, like there were like four levels of bleachers, and they were like right on the court. And we played everybody. We played Augsburg, and we played Gustavus, and we played Bemidji State. I think we played UMD. And I, I'll never forget their look what we got from them when they showed up in our gym. You know what I mean? It was just, right? And then... Uh, uh, other things, like I remember my first year, everybody was required to take a class. This is true. We all took a class, and it was called Intro to Computers, right? And we learned how to boot and reboot a computer. And I'm like a caveman. I was like, whoa, sis, you got to slow down, because let's do that again. Like, let's, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and here's one, and I don't mean to put salt in your wound, but this is the other crazy thing. My first year here at college was $6,000. And I still remember saying to my father, I was like, Pop, we don't have $6,000, right? I lived on campus for five years, I was a student. And when I got out, I had $12,000 in student debt, right? And so, I, and to put that in context, when I got out of here right away, I was teaching high school. I lived down in Dallas, I was teaching high school. And my first job, I had a teaching job, and with coaching, I was coaching basketball, I remember that year I made $21,000, and my first thought was, where am I going to spend this money? Where do I spend all this money?
money. It's $21,000, you know. So it's interesting, like a lot of changes, some are good and some are bad. And this morning I want to talk to you about a change that I see happening in the church. And just so you know this, I'm very excited about the future of the church because when I see you and you're the next generation and you're going to be inheriting the church and I like what's going on with the church. And and I want to talk to you about a change that I think happened in the church and I don't really know how this happened. But the change in the church looked like this. When Jesus was here and then the early church in the book of Acts, we saw that a lot of really messed up people, a lot of really messy people came to Jesus and they were transformed. And something happened along the way and the church became a place for people who are neat and tidy and who got their acts together. We know that not everybody has their acts together. In fact, very, if anybody really has their act together. And so we learned how to act like we have our act together. Over the last 50 years, the decline of the church has been historic. And what we're finding out is this, that people are leaving the church. They don't want to leave their God. They don't want to leave their faith. They're leaving the church. Because the church is, is very hypocritical. So Tom Schultz is with Group Publishing, and, and Tom's written a couple books, and one is called uh, 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 why, why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore, and the second book is called Why Nobody Wants to Be Around Christians. And reason number one in both of them is that because they say the church is and Christians are hypocrites. Now, just so you know, when I hear that, I think sometimes that's a cop-out and it's an easy out because here's the deal. Of course I'm a hypocrite to some extent because we have the standard of Christ and we're not living up to it, right? That's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is this. We know you people aren't perfect. We know you got issues. We know you're messed up just like we're messed up. The difference is you act like you're not, like you've never been. And that's what they're frustrated about. And so when I saw that the, 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 the series that you guys are doing on this messiness, I just thought, oh, that, that's right at my alley. Like, this is, a, this is a hot topic for me. And so I want to read you a passage of Scripture, and then, uh, and then I want to discuss it with, with maybe a different look this morning. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to John chapter 4. I think you'll want to see this. If you have a phone, I think you want to flip to it. Because I think you want to see this stuff for yourself. I don't make this stuff up. I don't write this stuff. Uh, I just read it. But I think you'll be interested in what it has to say. And so I'm going to read from John chapter 4. And if you guys would just humor me, I would always ask when we read the, the primary text that we just stand to our feet. And it's not right or wrong. It's just a way of saying, God, we revere and we respect your word. So I'm going to have you stand with me. I'm in John chapter 4, and I'm starting in verse 1, and it says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining, was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Verse 3, and so he left Judea down to the south, and he went back once more to Galilee up in the north. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sukkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Let's pray. So God, here's what we're asking. We're asking that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would open our ears and our eyes and our minds to hear what you have. And God, I'm asking that in in a supernatural way that only your Holy Spirit can, that you would speak to each individual here to make it apply to them according to where they're at. And in the end, God, we're asking that you would draw all attention to yourself. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So, so let me just get you up to speed so I make sure we all understand the context of this. And the context, you need to understand just a little bit of history and just a little bit of, of uh, geography. So historically, you know this about Samaria. Here's, here's the nation of Israel. It's like a large, a large uh, rectangle, right? In the very southern region, we call that Judea, and that's where Jerusalem is. 
In the middle, you have Samaria, and the far northern region is uh, Galilee. Uh, Galilee is where Nazareth is. It's where Jesus is from. It's where the Sea of Galilee is. The western border of Israel will be the Mediterranean Sea, and the eastern border will be the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River runs down, and then you have the Dead Sea. That middle region called Samaria, you know this, uh, most of you, you know this, that the Samaritans were called dogs and they were called half-breeds. And the reason is because the Assyrians, when they attacked, they came into that region hundreds of years prior to this. They came into that region, they took captive a lot of the Jews out there, and they sent in a lot of Assyrians. It's not the problem, that, the problem isn't that they were Assyrians, the problem was that they were pagans who worshipped pagan gods and idols. And so when they came into that area and they intermarried, the Jews in the north in Galilee, the Jews in the south in Judea said this, hey, they're not real Jews, they're not real Jews, and so they called them half-breeds and dogs. Okay, so now what we're going to find out is Jesus has this conversation, he, he has this encounter with a Samaritan woman, and this is where things get very messy. And the thing that I want to challenge you as the next generation of the church is, is that we need, the church needs to remember that we're here for the messy, and we need to minister to the messy. We need to go find the messy, and we need to encounter them, and we need to uh, encounter that mess and not run from it. But I want you to be prepared to do that, and so I just want to give you three thoughts from this passage regarding the messy. And point number one would be this. If we're going to minister to the messy, number one, it has to be very intentional. Now, you don't have to drive in your car and go find it. It's all around you. But we've got to be intentional in ministering to the messy. Look at verse 3 for me, if you will. It says, so he, Jesus, left Judea down the south, and he went back once more to Galilee. Now look at verse 4. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Stop. We think about this geographically. Like, of course he had to go through Samaria. He's in the south. He's got to go up through Samaria to get to Galilee. Except that's not true. He didn't have to go through Samaria for geographical reasons. Because what good Jews do, what neat and clean Jews do, what very pious Jews actually did, is they headed east, they went across the Jordan River into the area called Perea, they went north past Samaria, and then once they were past Samaria, they came back into Galilee. They wouldn't go through Samaria. So Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria because of geography, he had to go through Samaria because he's got to meet this woman. He's got an appointment. He's going to have an encounter with a woman. And I would say this, for you and I, if we're going to reach the next generation, your next generation, and you, if I'm going to reach the next generation, and we're going to lean into the messy, if we're going to minister to the messy, you're going to have to be intentional about it. In other words, you can't, every time you see a messy situation or the people that we call messy, you can't go around them. You can't cross the Jordan. You can't go over into Perea. You can't go around them and get up to Galilee. You've got to go into the messy. You have to go to it. You've got to go right to Samaria. See, that's what Jesus did. Now, in our ministry, uh, I have a, a lead youth pastor. His name is Parker. If you're a youth ministries major, someday you should meet Parker. And Parker had a situation where we have kids that come to our student ministry on Wednesday night, and they're from the neighborhood. They didn't grow up in the church. Their folks don't go to the church. They've never been a part of the church. But they come on Wednesday night. If truth be told, the primary reason this, this group of guys come is, number one, because there are girls, and number two, because we got basketball courts. So they come over the basketball, and when the message is being preached on Wednesday night, they slouch down in their chairs. They don't really pay attention. They'll have headphones in. They're checking out their phones, right? Well, what do we do about that? So when we see them, do we just avoid them? Do we walk around them? Do we go to Perea? 
or do you go right to Samaria? So Parker goes right to Samaria, walks right up to one boy. He's kind of the ringleader. His name is Jalen. And he says, hey, uh, Jalen, question for you. Do you think if we ever had open gym here on a Saturday, do you think kids would come? Do you think they'd come to open gym? And he says, I don't know. Here's my phone number. Send it to him. This is a kid that doesn't want to talk to anybody, just wants to do his thing. He's about him. Sends him his phone number. The following Wednesday, last Wednesday night, he texts our student ministries pastor and says, hey, uh, student services at normal times tonight? Like, all of a sudden, he's interested, right? Parker texts him back, and he says, no student services tonight. We have a Thanksgiving Eve service. Why don't you come on in? See, if you're going to minister to the messy man, you, you, you got to step right into it. We say this, our expression is you got to lean into the messiness. We're not going to avoid it. We're not going over the Jordan, right? We're not even going to simply tolerate it like, well, this woman is here. I'll just tolerate it. You've got to lean into it. If we're going to minister to the messy, we've got to lean into it. And it's got to be intentional. But number two, the thing that you need to know about ministering to the messy is this. It's probably going to be, oftentimes, it's going to be a lot messier than you think. You'll get started and you think it's here. And this could be kind of messy. Most times it gets messier than you even think. Right? Look at verse 16 for me, if you will. Jesus is having this conversation with her, and all of a sudden he says this. Hey, do this. Go and call your husband and then come back here. Well, it's kind of messy. She's a Samaritan. Right? That's messy. She's a female, and in that culture, you're not even a second-class citizen. You're about a fifth-class citizen. So it's kind of messy. He's a male talking to her. Now it's about to get a whole lot messier. And she says this. Well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, well, you got that right. Verse 18, he says, the fact is, you had five husbands, and the reason that you, and the husband that you now have is not even your husband. What you have just said is really right. See, Jesus is talking to her. The situation is messier. It's a whole lot messier than we think. And I'm just telling you this. I want to minister to the messy, and I want to get into it. And around our place, all the time, we often say, this is a phrase that we often say, guess we wanted we wanted to lean into the messy meaning this is getting a whole lot messier than we thought right last week we had we had a fun one where uh so the name of the church is cedar valley so our early childhood area is called tiny valley and it's kind of a cool hallway and it's it's tiny valleys where like you're one years old and you're an infant you're two years old whatever whatever we have different rooms different you know so a mom comes and she's from the neighborhood and she walks into the church i'm like cool right on we think that's great like people in the neighborhood that's what we want right so she walks in she brings her two-year-old into the service or into the church and so she walks in she meets somebody's a greeter hey here's where we take kids like that you know we go into tiny valley and and they get her checked in they drop the kid off she drops the kid off and now she heads for the service right two-year-old this isn't all that unusual isn't getting exactly what the two-year-old wants and so the two-year-old's kind of unhappy so two-year-olds what do they do well they throw a tantrum only <laughs> this two-year-old just starts dropping f-bombs everywhere i mean we got a two-year-old just screaming just right just tossing just f-bombs everywhere right hey we said we wanted to lean into messy now what are we going to do and how are we going to handle this and one of the things that we often say is hey we're going to have a lot of really difficult conversations we don't want to have a lot of rules we're going to have standards right but we're going to have a lot of really difficult conversations and, and that's the reality what Jesus did is he was very intentional in meeting this woman, and then he gets into a very difficult conversation. Oh, 
uh, you don't have a husband, you know, this could be awkward. Oh, by the way, you don't have one. You had five, and you're living with a guy now who's not your husband. Like, that's a difficult conversation. A couple weeks back, I got a note in our offering bucket, and it, was, it just had my name on the front. It was folded in half, and it has my name on the front. And it says, hey, I'm a college student, and uh, I've been going to your church for about a year, and I really want to get baptized, but I'm having a lot of struggle and I just had sex with another guy for the first time. Ooh, that's not awesome. So this week we have a conversation. Welcome to it. If you want to minister the message, you're going to have some really difficult conversations. Here's what we say. Lean in. Lean in. Be intentional. Don't run away from it. We need to minister the messy. And if we're going to do that, you've got to be intentional, right? And it's going to get messier than you think. And here's the third thing that I want you to know about it, and that is this, that ministering to the messy has the potential to change the world. And what I'd like to do is just take a couple minutes and cast a little bit of vision for you guys, that leaning into the messy can actually change the world. Look for me, if you will, at verse 28. After talking to the woman, he's encountered her now. In verse 28, it says this, then leaving her water jar, stop for a second, why'd she go to the well? She went to get water. You notice this? The people meet Jesus. They encounter Jesus. He transforms them. Do you notice this? Nothing else matters to them. The most important instrument that she has is a water jar. That's her job. She doesn't even care anymore. She has met Jesus, and he has changed her. And then it says this. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this the Messiah. Drop down. Look at verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. That woman, that messy woman, the five-time loser who's now living with a guy, she's responsible now. She's the instrument that took the gospel into Samaria. That messy woman just became a world changer. You want to see potential? You want to see some risk-reward, some high-risk, high-reward ministry? You minister to the messy. That woman changed the world. One of the questions that I oftentimes have is, why are we so afraid of this? Why are we so afraid of the messy? Why are we so afraid to lean in, right? And I think sometimes it's because we feel like, hey, if I minister to them, it's my responsibility to clean them up. That is not your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. It's not my job. My job is not to clean anybody up. I can't cure a ham right now. Do you know what I'm saying? I have my own issues. I'm not responsible for cleaning anybody up. That's not my job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. There's a couple that goes to our church, Dave and Lisa, and they're just magnets. You know, they're super fun and charismatic. They meet people everywhere they go. Dave meets a guy at the gym. The guy's name is Jesse. They have dinner with him. They invite him over to their house, dinner with him on a Saturday night. Jesse comes to church the next morning. I give the message. I give an invitation afterwards. I say, hey, if you prayed that prayer, we, we just want to be able to support you. Okay, raise your hands for me. A number of people raised their hands. They put their hands back down. I said, here's what I want you to do. Jesus never made it easy. If, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to get up out of your chair right now, walk down the aisle, and stand up here in front of me. That's not fair, right? Six or seven people, they get out of their chairs. They walk down. Jesse's still sitting in his seat. 
and guide your children right behind you and lead over his shoulder. Jesse comes down and he just full on surrenders his life to Jesus. He's changed. Three weeks later, I see Jesse. He's in the lobby. I'm still surrendered. I said, Jesse, I yell across the lobby. And now we're talking like this, like we're talking loud out in the lobby. And I said, Jesse, man, it's so great to see you. And he goes, wow. He goes, I can't believe you remembered my name. I said, of course I remember your name. And he goes, really? That means an expletive to me. <laughs> just shouts it loud. I'm like, okay. Welcome to the message, right? You know what? Jesse runs a gym, and Jesse tells everybody about Jesus and the gospel. It's not my job to change Jesse. See, the Holy Spirit transforms people. Let me close with this story. Gary Northrup is a guy that I just really resonate with, and Gary, uh, he pastors in Colorado, and, and, and he just, my heart beats the same as the unchurched and the dechurched. And Gary tells this story great, so cut me a little slack, but... Gary has a guy that goes to his church, and the guy's name is Frank, and Frank cuts hair. And everybody that gets their hair cut by Frank sits in his chair, hears about Jesus, and hears about his church and how awesome his church is. And they all end up coming to church with Frank. So one day a woman walks in. Her name is Tammy, and uh, Tammy is, she's an exotic dancer. I mean, it's messy, right? And so uh, Frank is talking about stuff, and he mentions his church, and she goes, right on. She goes, that sounds like a really cool church. Maybe I should come to your church. And he's like, uh, we're full that day. I don't think that's going to, you know. So Sunday, boom, she walks in. And Gary, Gary tells the story because he's standing up here and he says, I see her when she walks in, man. And she is dressed out like you would think exotic dancer. And he said, you know, heads are just like, you know, everybody sees her. She sits right down front in the, in, in the, in the that church, she encounters the Holy Spirit. She is a mess, just a mess. She surrenders her life to Jesus. So at the end of service, she comes up. They get her hand and Bible and stuff like that. They send her home. They've got her reading glasses on. During the week, she calls him. She's read the whole New Testament already. She calls him. She says, hey, Pastor Gary, this is Tammy. I don't know if you remember me. <laughs> He's like, oh, I remember you, you know. Says, uh, hey, you ever read that one Corinthians passage? She said, which one? She said, the Paul passage. She said, I thought that was the one about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Jesus called us to be fishers of men. Listen, you catch them, you send them out. You do that. Don't worry about ministering to other people. Be intentional. Be intentional. Understand this. It might get messier than you think, but it has the potential to change the world. Stop. What's your next step? Here's what I believe is the most important message. Have to make a decision. We just have to make a decision.
Because when we get real and they see that we got our own issues, listen, man, I got my own issues that are nothing, right? I'm 15 years old and I come home and I've got nothing, nothing, nothing. Furniture, gone. Walls, cleaned up. My mother left, packed up, left, and never said goodbye. Almost 20 years later, I walk into my house and my stuff is gone. My wife never got up again and probably ever went back either. And so now I'm a divorced person. God has healed me and I'm telling you, if God has used that story to help you, what is your story? You don't have to hide your story. You just have to be real. We don't glorify it. We don't revel in it. I'm just saying, this is my testimony. If you have one, you have the ability to make it straight to the messenger. I would challenge you to say this. Lean into the messenger. Here's my big so what this morning. This is a thought that I want you to walk out of here with. The big so what is this. you got to remember that Jesus didn't come as squeaky clean. They don't need him. And there's nobody that's squeaky clean. Jesus came as messenger. You just need to start being authentic. You just need to start being real here on your campus, in your home, right, in your church. I'm going to ask you guys to do something for me quick because I'm going to pray and close. Would you, just, would you just humor me? Would you just hold your hands out like this? And by holding our hands out, here's what we're saying. God, this is my mess. This is my mess. This is my junk. It's my stuff. It's my past. And I'm saying this. It is for you to use, God. And I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. So, Father, this is what we say this morning. We're not squeaky clean. We're people that have had it. We're people that's life has changed. We've just been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been saved by a Savior. We have met the living God who says, Jesus, you are my son. Come into my house and rest in me. Use us. Use this message. And now, God, I pray a blessing over this church in your very God, I don't ask you to forsake us. I'm asking you to take us bold. Take us with courage. Because of your grace, come. Because your favor calls us.